Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Oh, thank you very, very much. And uh, welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Musa Jackson. He is the star of Questlove's Oscar-winning directorial debut, Summer of Soul. One of the pioneering black male models discovered in 1983, he modeled for GQ, Spanish Vogue, French Vogue, Italian Vogue, Mademoiselle, Seventeen, and other magazines, and walked the runways in Paris and Milan for Jean-Paul Gaultier's debut collection. He is the CEO and editor of, in chief, editor in chief of Ambassador Digital Magazine. It is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Musa Jackson is what's hot. Hello there, Musa. Hey, G. Keith. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. I like forgot I did all that. <laughs> well, well you, you've got quite a uh, history uh, uh, as a uh, male model and, uh, and other things that you've done. And we'll, we'll talk about some of that. Right now, though, um, let's talk about, you know, let's take the Wayback Machine. Mm-hmm. And and let's go back and, and tell us what was it like growing up as little Musa Jackson? Well, um, it was amazing growing up. Um, I'm Harlem born and raised. Um, my, you know, basically when you grow up in Harlem, you come from a family like, you know, Harlem family that's been here. Um, that's all you kind of know in a certain way. So my family arrived in Harlem in 1919 on my mother's side. So, I mean, before the Renaissance, which would kind of make Harlem, Black Harlem famous to say we arrived at the same time just before. Um, but I came obviously in the 60s and, um, <clears throat> and I grew up in Harlem and it just was an amazing experience, you know, having um, just so many people, amazing people in my life, um, you know, real family, I would call, we had, you know, our immediate family, but, you know, everybody that you encountered in those days were aunties and uncles. They kind of looked out for you. So Harlem was a just one big melting pot of just love. And, um, and you know, I had a really unique experience because um, I went to private school at a very, I, I actually started my, my education in private school. So I got a private school education at the age of four. Um, and what they call back those days was called the full ride. So in other words, my mom hit the, um, hit the lotto and I, from kindergarten up through, literally up to college was paid for, which is not, they don't do that anymore. But at the, in those days in 1960. Wait, wait did, did she literally hit the lotto? Well, she hit the, she hit the education lotto. The oh, okay, lotto, got you. Okay. The parent lotto, not the lotto okay. lotto. The, I right. call it the parent lotto which is, you know, most parents, any parent knows I'm talking about, it's all about education for your children. And especially back in those days, it was all about education. Education meant freedom. And so basically have your your child enter into school into a uh, very well-respected and high education at, um, at its earliest start was the lotto for a parent. She had to worry about me. 
And so, um, and I went through private schools and that would kind of indoctrinate me into um, high society, but also in downtown society as well as um, up in Harlem. So I had, I had a, dual world, a, a duality growing up. Well, okay. So then from there, you uh, went to, which high school did you go to? So, well, yeah. From, so from private school, I went to two private schools. I went to Allen Stevenson and I went to Manhattan Country School, which I got to give a shout out to Manhattan Country School because it was an amazing private school. And from there, I went to um, what they now call the Fame School, which was in Harlem. On, we call it Castle on the Hill, the High School of Music and Art, which is now located downtown behind Lincoln Center. And um, it was two schools at that time, which was they had the performing arts and they had the music and art. So I went there for visual art. I was a painter. And um, so they had the musicians and artists uptown in Harlem and they had the performing, the dancers and the drama downtown. And I arrived at that school literally a year before the actual fame movie came out and literally as that came out, we then became known as the Fame School, which is now, it's known around the world as, you went to the Fame School. But I was there with the people, <laughs> some of the characters that were in Fame. Um, I went to high school with them because they, they gave a lot of the actual students actual roles um, to, to keep it authentic in the film. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, uh, so that was... Um, no. Now, is, is that the school that you went to where Slick Rick and, and, yes. and those guys? So, so my, I, I entered um, high school in, in 1979, September. And any, any of those people who research, you'll understand that in September of 1979, as we're getting on the school bus, um, the very first rap record became famous, which was called Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill right. Gang. I, I pretty, pretty much can sing those lyrics, right? And I went into high school and with um and I'm sitting in homeroom first day September '79 and I, I was sat in between uh, Ricky Walters he won't mind because you can look it up Ricky Walters and Dana McLeese and um, they would go on to become Slick Rick and Dana Dane and now they're icons but at that time rap was a concept. It wasn't um, what it is today, obviously, a trillion-dollar industry. Back in those days, it was just like the next thing. And it, it kind of caught the, caught the um, imagination of the youth because it was expressing where they were coming from. And Slick Work, I believe, excuse me, lived in the Bronx. I lived in Harlem. And all the youth, you know, all, those, all the kids were in, out now into this new form of music, um, which was um, rap. So I was, I was there. At the, at the very beginning of that. Mm -hmm. Well, all right, so now, uh, how did you get into, uh, you, you know, I've been in uh, modeling, voiceovers, acting, the whole, the whole bit. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with the, you know, the, the whole experience. Uh, tell us how you got into this experience and became, uh, you were discovered by the, uh, uh, by GQ magazine the art director or, or the editor. Uh, tell us how that story begins. Ooh, so my story is, it's a, it's a, now it's probably a legendary story, but I was a kid from Harlem and I got a, a full scholarship to Parsons School of Design, which is the top arts college um, period. <laughs> and I got that in 19, right out of high school in 1983. 
and I got a job um, in September of 83. I got a job at a clothing store called Parachute, which was the, the, which was a clothing store for the stars. So every star, every rock star that's from Michael Jackson to Cher, Stevie Wonder, 19, the 1983 versions of these people. So Thriller had just came out, right? Um, were, they, were, they were their clients. And I walked in and I just came in to fill out a job. I was 18 years old, five, six feet one, about 190 pounds, very thin. Um, and um, the, 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 the photographer runs in and he thinks I'm the model. <laughs> And um, I'm like, no, I'm here to get a job because I need that for college. And then the owner was there at the same time. And he said, well, guess what? You got the job as a salesperson and you're also going to be doing our ads. And <laughs> my first day, I became famous in the downtown world because I debuted in GQ interview every single magazine as the first black model for, to do an international ad for Parachute. And I went, at the same time, simultaneously, I went to a nightclub opening um, called Area. I was at the opening of Area. So if you're there, you know what I'm talking about. I was, and that was the days of true clubs. Mm -hmm. And I walked into Area and I, I went with um, Keith, Haring, Keith Haring, who was my good friend, Basquiat, oh. Oh, and Andy okay. Warhol. Really? And my then girlfriend, which was Jenny Lumet. Um, I think she was there with me, but Jenny Lumet, who was Lena Horne's granddaughter. And that's my first girlfriend. And so I went to, um, I know, right? I know. Not bad, right? It keeps getting better, right? <laughs> and I went in and like I said, I had this smile, these eyes, and I think personality and photogenic. And the editor, the, the beauty editor, Camille Duhay, um, said, I think you're the face of the 80s. And that was the same time that the Cosby show dropped. So they were kind of looking for um, young black men who probably were middle-class or upper middle-class to represent in fashion. And they, hadn't, they didn't have any. And I literally kind of create, helped create that niche, niche because literally when I started modeling, I, I, I did everything, Macy's and JCPenney's and commercials. And it just didn't stop for 10 years. We saw you. Business. Hmm? I I didn't know you, but but you know we saw you. One of the quintessential black men on these uh, covers and magazines and things. Uh, how how did you hang with uh, Andy Warhol? Oh well, that's what I'm saying. I was in the downtown scene. I was working at um, Parachute, and Andy came in all the time. Actually, matter of fact, the first time Andy came in, he brought Brooke Shields. Um, and as, if you 1983 book Shields, um, but you know, irony about Brooke Shields is that I went to private school. So I mm -hmm. kind of was in Brooke Shields presence since the time we were five years old. As a matter of fact, we played together when we were five and then she just happened to become one of the most famous models in the world. But if you're in the private school world, um, you know, you, you know, you're used to being around the rich and famous. I grew up around the rich and famous at that time. So to me, I remember seeing her, she made Brooke Shields. I'm actually three months older than her. Brooke Shields was there. We weren't friends, but um, he brought her in and Keith Haring would always come in. He, what Keith Haring was not Keith Haring as we know him today. Mm -hmm. He was, um, an, a, you know, um, like, you know, John michel Basquiat had literally just became John michel Basquiat. 
And um, Keith Haring came right after that. And I worked with Keith Haring. So Keith Haring, actually, I'm the only person, only Black Harlem American or whatever that has ever been painted by Keith Haring. Really? Chris Jones, which I, wow. people see that it was, you know, for London. And it's pretty iconic now. Wow. <laughs> well, 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 now, okay. So I'll so show now, it to you later. Okay. So now you mentioned two people. You mentioned uh, uh, Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I was in a limousine with Andy one uh -huh. One afternoon, we were coming from some party. Uh, it was Andy and uh, uh, Fabrice. I don't know if you remember the designer Fabrice. I do remember Fabrice. Okay, mm -hmm. and and I was uh, and I was afraid to ask Andy Warhol for his autograph. I'm sitting there next to him, and I'm saying, "Should I ask him for his autograph? I know it. it's going to be worth a lot one day." And right. I, and I was debating with myself, but I, I never got around to doing it. I, he would have loved uh, that. Andy really? loved attention. I was kind of afraid to, I was kind of nervous to him because I remember when he was doing something with Interview Magazine and he kind of would look and he would kind of approve you with a nod. And I was with a friend of mine who he approved and I'm just kind of standing there, I'm like 18. So you know, 18, you can imagine 18 years old, everything's about approval, right? And I remember kind of standing there and there's Keith and Basquiat and they're looking and he kind of looked me up and down, he went, like, and they were like, you're in. Like, oh, wow. You know, he likes you. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. Well, but I was okay. like, you know, I was like a kid, you know? I mean, he was like, he said, you have a million dollar smile. Like, who can say no to you? I remember he said that. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, you know. <laughs> now, who was the young lady that you mentioned uh, also in, in, in your, uh, that you went to school, that you grew up with? Uh, you're three, three months older than she is? Well, that's Brooke Shield. I, oh, I didn't yeah, go to Brooke school. Shield. Okay. I didn't go All to right. school with Brooke right. Shields. Oh, okay. Brooke Shields went. Brooke Shields went to a competing high school. I mean, excuse oh, okay. me, competing private school. Okay. And that so, was, I think, it was she went to Lenox or something like that, or Lincoln, New Lincoln, and I went to Manhattan Country. So we kind of okay. played them in soccer, and that's when she did the whole pretty baby stuff, and and that's when that was that era, and then later on, that's when I knew her, and then okay. later on, um, I obviously went to high school. And then, of course, coming back into that downtown world, the Soho world, um, we would obviously cross paths at different All points. right. I, I, what I was going to say was that, um, uh, you know, I used to host a lot of parties for Regine. And uh, one day I walked into Regine's and uh, uh, the Flora, the publicist, said, gee, Keith, there's someone I want you to meet. Uh, and she's going to be famous one day and uh, you got to meet her. So I thought she's going to take me over to meet some woman. Uh, mm -hmm. She took me over to meet. Brooke Shields. Now, Brooke Shields was 16 years old at the time, and her mother accompanied her everywhere. Harry. Yeah, her mother wouldn't let her out of her sight. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, so I was introduced to Brooke Shields, but I didn't think she was going to, you know, be anything, but she turned out to be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the Brooke Shields that we know today. So, hey, Musa, this is very interesting, your, your earlier beginnings. So, all right, so now um, you go from uh, starting to model, and you, then you, you, you get on the runways of Paris and, and, and all these other places. Uh, what was that like? Well, you know, um, so I got with an agency called Pauline's. Pauline, um, it, it was a, a, a very well-known agency back in the 80s. It was the chic agency, and I was the only man. She didn't want any men. So she said, I love you so much. But you're going to, you know, so I was with all these top women models in a women's agency. I'm the only guy, which caused a sensation. And I'm a black guy, too. So it was like, okay, who's this special guy? And um, they, one of the agencies in Paris said, we want you to come to Paris. 
And so I said, fine. I was doing Macy's every day, which was like crazy because I was doing like five days of Macy's or JCPenney's. And that was really difficult for models to get. But I think they booked me right away. They were like, you're so commercial. And they just put me on their A-list. So I was doing all the covers and all the stuff. And I was working and making a lot of money for the agency. But I, I said, I want to go to Paris. I'd never been to Paris. I'd never been on a plane. I'd never been on a plane out of the country, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ever. So I'm like this 19-year-old kid who's never been on a plane. I used to speak French because the school that I went to spoke French. So I knew a little bit of French. And I said, so, you know, it's always a dream to go to Paris because that's, you know, French. And so I get on a plane and I go to Paris and I um, is this Harlem kid who come, you know, and I have this, this big agency and they look at me and they, they say to me, oh, there's no blacks allowed. And I said, excuse me? And they said, we're not having blacks this season. Now, mind you, I've flown 3,000 miles, been invited by the president of the agency. And you're going to tell me no blacks? Well, they got the Harlem boy at that moment. And they got, and I looked them in the face and I said, you know, because I always had class, you know, and I came from, you know, a different type of black. And I said, you will send me to everybody and let them decide. And he looked at me and he went, it was an Englishman. Oscar and he ripped up a paper and he handed it to me and it was for Kenzo. And I walked into Kenzo and Kenzo fell in love with me and I did Kenzo. And then the next, and I went and I was going to everybody. I was going to Stephen Placier and Daniel Hester and they were all booking me. And then the last one was for Jean-Paul Gaultier. And it was the biggest because Jean-Paul Gaultier was the thing. He was the designer of the moment. It's hard to explain. It would be like, um, I've got Alexander McQueen. Anyone that's the most famous designer in the world, that was who he was at that moment. So it was thousands of models. And I walk in and the models were parting like the Red Sea as I was walking through. I can remember like it was yesterday. And they were just like getting out of my way as I was walking through. I felt like it was my destiny. And there was John Paul. And then John Paul looked at me. I literally, 10 minutes. They had been waiting for hours. It took me 10 minutes. And he looked at me and he said, come, come. And I walked up to him and he looked at my book. He looked at one picture and closed it. He said, walk. And I walked and he said, he looked, he said, would you like to do my show on Saturday? <laughs> and I said, sure, call my agent. And then he <laughs> called my agent and I did, I opened Jean-Paul Gaultier's show. Thank and then Jean-Paul you. took me to, to Italy in his first time he uh, Next season, his first time he ever debuted his first collection in Milan. And I was a part of 10 men who went. And um, these are part of history that will, you know, I can only tell. People that were there can only tell because before the internet. Well, you know, I, I always say if we don't tell our own stories, who else will? Uh, we've got less than 30 seconds before our break. Uh, okay. some, we'll come back more with uh, Mr. Musa Jackson, the ambassador of uh, Harlem. We'll talk about that as well. But I do want to remind you that uh, you can go to our website at harlemamerica.com, check out some of our uh, very nice radio podcasts, as well as some of our TV shows as well on harlemamerica.com. We've got great articles about the culture, great articles about, uh, well, you know, what we're trying to do is connect Harlem with the Harlems of the world. So check us out at harlemamerica.com, and we'll be right back with Mr. Musa Jackson. 
Harlem America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. America, where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. So, uh... Welcome back. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we're with uh, Musa Jackson. Musa, how did you get that uh, moniker, Ambassador of Harlem, the Harlem Ambassador? So I got that moniker when nobody really cared about Harlem. People, re- people see Harlem today, and at one point, Harlem was not desirable. Um, there was a lot going on in the streets, and it just wasn't... It wasn't fabulous, but I was. To be, <laughs> um, I was, in, you know, downtown, and I never, ever, I always, James Baldwin, I met when I was a child, and he was the one that told me when I was really little, about eight years old. I remember, never forget him saying, and, and he said, um, I was pr- kind of ashamed because I went to private school of being from Harlem. It was poverty. There was a lot of abandoned buildings. There was a lot of broken lots, and I and I saw the opposite. So I saw, I was on Fifth Avenue in limos and I kind of really wanted to be that kid. I wanted to be Richie Rich, right? right. And I wasn't, I, was, I grew up in a project, so I kind of didn't want to be from Harlem, so to speak. And he knew that, Uncle Jimmy, we called him in Harlem. And he said to me, I never forget, I was little, I kind of remember him distinctly. And I didn't really know it was even James Baldwin. I just knew it was Uncle Jimmy. And I never forget, he said, uh, let me tell you something. You come from Harlem and Harlem is wonderful. That's wonderful people. Okay, and don't you ever forget it. <laughs> and I never did. And I never did. And Lena Horn, 
I mentioned before J Jenny Lumet, who I was um, dating, that was my first girlfriend, was also had a Harlem affiliation with Cotton Club or whatever. So it was always certain things into my dad. So I kind of always had a really good feeling about Harlem. So when I went out into the world back in the 80s when it was Crackville, it was, you know, it was, it was hard to see because I saw a lot of people that I knew getting into drugs and, um, and, and, and it, 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 was, it was devastating. It devastated our community. But here I was on the, here I was in, on Jean-Paul Gaultier and had to represent. I had to keep the spirit alive um, in, the, in, in fashion of us. I was the first black male model from Harlem to really make it internationally on the international stage consistently. So I was there before Naomi Campbell, before certain people were there and I had to represent. So when I, so when I would represent as Harlem, I was representing for the Langston Hughes and all the rest of them. And I would do jobs that was kind of represent, when I did French Vogue, they had me as Langston, you know, because I could, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, not every black kid had that experience. And so, um, you know, it was always elegant. And so they just kept calling me the ambassador, the ambassador, the ambassador. And I was kind of like, okay, okay. And they would say, we have the ambassador of Harlem. And this was years ago. And it was Freddie Jackson that said to me, um, he said, you are the ambassador of Harlem and you better walk in those shoes before someone else does. Oh, it doesn't look like us. And mm -hmm. the minute he said that, it was a wrap. And I've been the ambassador ever since. Thank God. Thank God. Okay. Well, look. All right. So for 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 those people who've never been to Harlem, uh -huh. or or a, we have a lot of listeners from overseas, uh, from many of the countries, because you know we're we're global. And uh, so for those people, tell them what Harlem is like now, because I don't want folks mm. to think that Harlem is, no. is, is 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 the way you you described it. Uh, well, uh, back then, let folks know what Harlem is like now. Harlem has always been a tale of two cities. So even back then, there was a certain faction, which we called Sugar Hill and up on the hill, that was a different type of Harlem, right? And Harlem today, which is, you know, brownstones, education, we pushed education and into, you know, it was academia, it was, um, you know, music and art and culture were always a foundation. And those were always a foundation, even with people that didn't have money. My family didn't have money, but I knew who Leotine Price was. I knew who Paul Robeson was and Marin Anderson. So it wasn't ever about that. But what I will say is that Harlem today is, um, is, is, is one of the most desirable neighborhoods in all of New York City, if not sure. the most desirable neighborhood in all of New York City, because we have such a rich history and culture that is unparalleled around the world, okay? So when you think of, of you know, when I say, I love to say to people that um, Harlem is possibly the most iconic neighborhood for black neighborhood in history. It's debatable, but I think if you go to Ethiopia, if you went to even Germany and you said Harlem, they'll know what you're talking about. They might not necessarily think Brooklyn is, and you have to kind of figure out which part of Brooklyn, right? But mm -hmm. Harlem, when you say Harlem, you think of jazz, you think of Langston, you think of James, you think of Malcolm, you the think Apollo of Theater. Uh, all the Apollo Theater, Sylvia's. Schomburg. You know, we had Schomburg, Studio Museum of Harlem. We have put 
Harlem on the map and continue to put Harlem on the map as a cultural destination. So anybody listening, you're gonna come and you're gonna see a rich history. You're gonna feel the essence of people that were here, that are still here. That's right. But people that have been here before. And Harlem is so safe that people who used to live downtown mm -hmm. are moving uptown and they're building all these luxury buildings and, and brownstones are going for $4 million and, and all this. So yes, Harlem is the place to be. Hence, Harlem America is here to help to promote and, and, and showcase all of the beautiful things about Harlem. And we're going to connect Harlem with the Harlems of the world. So now, all right, so now we got that out of the way. Uh, tell us about, real quickly, how you, at the age of, uh, what, nine years old? Uh, four. You, you, four years old? Four years old, you witnessed firsthand Summer of Soul in Harlem, the movie, uh, mm -hmm. the documentary that just won an Oscar and, mm -hmm. and several other awards. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was Questlove's uh, desire to bring it to the screen. Tell us how you witnessed that at four years old. Well, once again, I said, even though we might have had not had money, what we always had was culture. I come from a very cultured family. So one of the things that happened in the summer of 1969 was a festival called the Harlem Cultural Festival. And it was um, started by a man by the name of Tony Lawrence. And okay. over six weekends from June to August, um, the different acts, some of the greatest acts of the 20th century, latter part of 20th century was there. People from Mahalia Jackson to Sly and Family Stone to uh, a little St Stevie Wonder becoming a teenage Stevie Wonder, a young Gladys Dine Pips, David Ruffin, um, uh, uh, Hugh Masekela, the great Nina Simone, and my personal favorites, The Fifth Dimension. And I witnessed all this. And as I said before earlier, I was just a kid who had, I was like, with a high IQ and I, had a, I have a photographic memory. And so I embedded everything in this brain and kept it, kept it in my head forever. It's actually one of the, it is the catalyst as to why I do the things culturally that I do in Harlem. And so, as you said, being known as a Harlem ambassador uh, here and around the world, most people call Harlem and they call and they ask for me and they say, hey, Musa, we need this and that. So I got a call from Questlove's associate producer, um, Ashley, and she said, hey, Musa, we know you're the Harlem ambassador. We need to know people that attended attended the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969. <laughs> they called and, I'm like, right <laughs> and I went, you called the right person. You called, And I said, I was there. She didn't think I was the age I was. So uh -huh. she said, wait a minute. First off, I was in 69. Were you born in 69? I said, I was four years old. She goes, so she says, you're four years old. Okay, what can this four-year-old say? Well, this four-year-old remembered everything to the point that I was telling her things that was in the footage that they had, which I did not know existed. Mm. All I know was that I was going to tell them everything I knew. Mm -hmm. And I remembered smells, colors that matched up to everything that they saw. And they said they interviewed um, many people. They narrowed it down to 12. Um, they eventually narrowed it down to five attendees. 
And they said of the five, I was the heart of the film. And they had me open and close and somewhat narrate through the film because they, they felt that my, and that's why they kind of go through my brain. If you see it, they open with me and then they go into my brain and then they end out of my brain. And it's a full moment because it just tells the passion of what was lost and what was gained. Because this film sat in a basement for um, 50 years, Hal Tolchin, who direct, who actually filmed it back in 69, um, had it in his basement and he could not sell it because nobody wanted, nobody wanted us. Nobody wanted black music back then. And then Woodstock happened and that was it. That's the narrative that's gonna be played is that we're gonna have Woodstock and um, the Harlem Cultural Festival footage tapes um, went into a basement and were retrieved by Robert Fabelant. I'll, I'll say his name, Fabelant who had it for 15 years before he approached um, uh, Questlove. And Questlove, who's a music historian, who knows everything about music, was just like, how did I not know about this? And so that was the spark. And he said, I have to make this film. I was his first interview. And when he showed me the actual footage, which was exactly what I had just told him, because he was like, Musa, you have to see this. <laughs> and I look on the screen and, it's, and I, I, I had an out of body experience because I was like, how did you get in my head? Like, how did you get in my head? And I started not like have a breakdown, but I just really, I'm, a, I'm 57 years old. I'm 55 at the time. And I was, so here's a grown man, okay? Successful grown man breaking down on camera. And I think they knew they had gold because that's very, and very raw. Yeah. And um and they were you, giving me you, back. You my brought life. the you brought the emotion to the right. film for all of us, you know. Right. And, and I was saying know, what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in '69, in, in I was here in New York. I just gotten um I'm out of the Marine Corps, got a scholarship to Fordham University. So mm -hmm. I was here in New York and I had heard nothing, I knew nothing about what was going on. I, I did not know how did it was not promoted widely or something because, you know, I did, but okay. So now what was it like going to the Oscars? Oh gosh. So here we are, we're at the Oscars and I had been on the, the trail with them. So they won every award. They won um, Sundance, Vanguard, Audience Award, Grand Jury Prize, six Critic Choice Awards. And then now, and then we finally get a nomination for obviously Grammy, as well as um, we went to Independent Spirit Awards. We won that live. And now the last dance, the big dance is the Oscars. So we all go to the Oscars and, um, you know, we we're all waiting patiently. Of course, Chris Rock, we had seen the night before. And so we, Chris Rock said, yo, I'm going to be presenting and, I, and I'll be presenting best documentary. Right. Which is kind of cool because Chris Rock is also in the film. And so he's like a small part talking about Stevie Wonder. So that was kind of cool that he was being presenting, presenting who was in the envelope. And so, um, so the, the following day we're, you know, we're, we're, we're all there and the moment of truth and then the incident happened. It's called the incident happened, right? Um, with Will and, and Chris, but we're, on, we're like, you know, I'm kind of like, hey, don't stop my show. Cause I thought <laughs> they were gonna pull the plug. Cause it was so like, it was so powerful, right? And, and then, of course, he says, the winner is Summer of Soul. And we went bonkers. And of course, Questlove gave an amazing speech, passion speech. And he kind of referenced me in his speech by saying he wished he had known his parents. He wished he was five years old. That would be me. 
and had mm-hmm. had the opportunity to have a something like this, but who knew about it? Mm-hmm. And that we should, and that's why it's so important important to have these these type of um, events. Uh, uh, you know, we all should know about these events, right? Three hundred thousand right. people showed up. So afterwards, just so that you guys know, we went to the Vanity Fair party, which is all over the internet. I went holding the Oscar. They let me, they wanted me to hold the Oscars. They're like, we're here because of you. You started this, you brought us here and you're Harlem. You're representing Harlem with Ambassador. So I was going around and it was so crazy having Lupita's and Tessa Thompson's and all these famous actors, Zoe Kravitz. And they're all just like, you know, hey, you were amazing in the film. And I'm like, what film? Because I'm like, I still can't register that I'm, you know, these super famous people Mm-hmm. are like, and it was Tessa Thompson. She's like, Musa, not everybody can play, I think it was Tessa Thompson, not everybody can play um, the drums like Stevie Wonder did in the film or sing like Mahela Jackson, but everybody was four years old once. And I went, okay, I get it now. She says, so we all, you took us with you. And I went, wow. And she said, we've all, we all voted. We're all Academy Award, we're all Academy members. So they were very, very protective of us considering it just happened, um, obviously, you know, it was still fresh. And, um, but they were very, 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 very protective of, of uh, the Summer of Soul crew. So it was an amazing, amazing experience. I'm on cloud nine. I probably never get off cloud nine. So <laughs> um, well, well, okay, so let's take a, a short break. Sure. Uh, we're with uh, Musa Jackson and you've got, if you haven't seen the documentary yet, Summer of Soul, it won an Oscar. And Musa is embedded in that documentary, and you'll be able to uh, put the uh, uh, well. His, you'll be able to put his words uh, that you you're listening to right now with his face in the film, and uh, it is it is truly truly a great great documentary to be able to see, ladies and gentlemen. Do not forget to check out HarlemAmerica.com. We are there waiting for you. So please join us, read some of our great articles and uh, see some of the great celebrities and and other uh, uh, business people and and, uh, health and wellness people that we have on our website. And we'll be right back in just a few short shakes. Don't go away. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem, America. Harlem, America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. 
To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome back, and thank you, Kevin Bernay. You are a wonderful, wonderful addition to Harlem America. Uh, hey, uh, and in case you did not get a chance to listen to our show last week, when we had Marsha Thompson, the uh, wonderful opera star. You can check out Marsha. And the week before that, we had uh, Janelle Prokope, the CEO and president of the Apollo Theater. And we've had many, many, many more people that if you haven't had a chance to check them out, please go to harlemamerica.com. Right now, though, we're listening to, and you're, you'll be able to see uh, after we go into uh, post-production, you'll be able to see uh, Mr. Musa Jackson. And so, Musa, tell us now, <clears throat> what was it like? Everyone wants to know, what was it like at the after party? What was the buzz going on about the, the incident that happened? And we all know what incident we're well, talking about. Well, here's the thing, right? So we come into the van... And I went to the big, it's the biggest, the biggest party, guys, is the Vanity Fair party. And if you can get, if you know New York, if you're from New York, then guys, think of about five or six city blocks, full blocks of people. Okay? Not streets. Everybody, blocks. Not, blocks. not streets. Blocks. Not streets. Blocks the along the street. block. Yeah, okay. Of people. Okay? And everybody is famous or everybody if it's director you'd be like oh well that person isn't famous and they say what do you do and they go i directed um one directed um, um uh, righteous gemstones i was just like i watch it on netflix so you got like all these famous people but obviously there's buzzing around lena Waite, and you see um you know um oh my god tiffany haddish i'm on you know you can actually see me with tiffany haddish and you see um, Zoe Kravitz and all, obviously all the Oscar, Nicole Kidman. But you also in the other room was, uh, was Puppy. Puppy was there. And, you know, anyway, in the other room was Will Smith and Jada. I saw, I saw their kids buzzing around. Or actually I saw um, Jaden. He was buzzing around. He looked really good in the pink suit. And then um, their daughter, Willow, um, was hanging out with Zoe Kravitz. But so... Energy was like maybe some whispers about what happened, but I think everybody was kind of like so in the moment of, you know, you, you, you can talk about it, but there goes Nicole Kidman. You know, you can talk about it, but there goes, you know, Steven Spielberg, whatever, you know. So you kind of like, you were always distracted by a celebrity or whatever. You're rubbing shoulders. Oh, I'm, excuse me. Oh, wait a minute. You're... Nicole Kidman, she's like, oh yeah, my God, you were in Summer Soul. And you're like, um, yeah, this is weird. <laughs> so we had a, you know, and, and, and then we were holding the Oscar. So you're holding the Oscar and everybody wants to touch it and rub it and like, and, and if they see it, they're like, oh my God, you're an Oscar winner, oh my God. And I was in, I was a star of an Oscar winning film, didn't win the Oscar per se, having it in my hand, but having it in my hand, they wanted me to have it in my hand. They were like, you know, kind of go around and see what happens. And so I kind of was walking around with the Oscar and, um, and really having an amazing time. It felt like, like I said, I think that's what cloud nine feels like. And, um, you know, because it was just like a bunch of angels, beautiful people. And I felt like I was on a cloud. So it's really, really cool. 
Okay, and uh, what were you wearing? Who were you wearing? So I had in my house, I had a full double-breasted tuxedo, right? That's done by 5001 Flavors, Guy Wood. And, but I also had a jacket, a gold jacket. A gold, you heard that, guys. A gold jacket by Edwin D'Angelo. So I decided, why don't I combine the both of them and give two black designers shine? So I put Edwin D'Angelo's gold jacket on and some black tuxedo pants and a black shirt. And I'll be honest with you, everybody was in a black tuxedo and then there's a gold statue walking around the gold Oscar. So <laughs> people have seen me behind people, oh my God, there's a gold jacket, there's Musa on ET tonight or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. So God, God is great. God made sure that I stood out and the jacket looked, I love that jacket. I, I think I don't want to give it back to to Edwin, please let me borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah. hey, and, and I'm just going to throw this out here. You know, you, you got to tell Questlove he's got to come and do my show, okay? Um, you can tell Questlove right now. Questlove is the most in-demand man. Amir Questlove Thompson is the most in-demand guy on the planet right now. If I could even say hi to Questlove, it would be, hey, Quest, if you see me, thank you once again, Quest, and um, everybody at um, Onyx and everyone at um, Concordia, as well as um, Radical Media, Robert, Joseph Patel, my dude, Rose, Joseph Patel, one of the great producers, and um, Jackie Glover, a great sort of Jackie Glover. Jackie Glover and I, ironically, and, and Slick Rick, we all, Jackie Glover is, is, the, is the, uh, the head of, head of um, documentaries at Onyx Collectives, a new subsidiary of, of Disney who bought uh, Summer Soul. Guess what? We went to high school together. I know this was 14 years old. Full circle moment. Anyway, thank you, Jack Jackie Glover. Um, but Questlove, you did your thing and um, you made history. And he also won the Grammy. They won the Grammy as well. The last award was last week. They won Best um, Music Film Grammy. So they've won everything. They've done it and put history, rewrote, rewrited, right? History for our community. So Fantastic. I'm ever grateful to be a part of that as well. Fantastic. So, all right. So now uh, we, 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 we covered the, uh, the Oscars mm -hmm. and, um, but you are also the CEO of a digital magazine called uh, Ambassador Fantastic. Digital Magazine. How did that come about? So very quickly, um, I've been in the magazine, obviously started as a model, because we know in 83, so I've always been affiliated with magazines, whether it's in front of the camera or working. And for many years, I was um, a contributing editor, an editor for different publications. Um, I was contributing editor for Uptown Magazine, uh, Spirit and Flesh. I've done, I produced photo shoots for uh, Afropolitan and um, Essence and stuff like that. Um, where I come on and just like put things together, make things happen. And I'm a writer. So um, in, in, in 2019, right, 2019, um, I decided I wanted to have my own magazine. And I didn't want to call it Harlem Ambassador. I said, you know what, everybody's an ambassador of something. And so what I thought was I wanted to highlight people that I think are really doing things for the culture, regardless of age, because we're so ageism, regardless of color, regardless of sex or sexual orientation, I really wanted people to just be, you know, giving their flowers. And we started, um, our launch was, it was two years ago next month. And we started during the pandemic. We had an audience, no one was going anywhere. I had all this, I shot all this content the year, um, in 2019 and it was going to launch 
in March, and of course the pandemic hit, and I started, I just launched covers, and it launched cover stories, cover features, and we took off like gangbusters. And now we are two years in, we have covered some incredible people and given some flowers to some amazing people from all walks of the industry, from the dance world, Carmen de Lavala, to we, we did Michael K. Williams' last cover feature, um, who was a very good friend of mine, and, um, and work with different businesses. So I work with the Harlem community as well as um, international community. We have cover in Paris um, that we've done. And um, um, you know uh, we have a team in, uh, now in Atlanta, in LA, and New York, and probably we'll have one in um, Florida. Could be done Florida as well, Miami. So um, our magazine is hot. It's um, you know it's, it's 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 definitely for the culture, and it's if you want to find us on Instagram, it's ambassador underscore mag. Obviously, our website is ambassador underscore mag. Excuse me, ambassador digital mag dot com, and then you can find us on Facebook um, as ambassador digital mag. And just follow us, you know, you'll see more stuff happening. And, and you, like I said, it's all about the culture. And like, you know, with a lot like, you know, what you're doing, it's just another platform, another platform, but in the way in which I feel like I'm best to handle it and do it. And I've got a lot of love. I've been receiving a lot of love from industry insiders who I've worked with for now 40 years of relationships. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, <clears throat> the, the more platforms we have to tell our stories, yeah. uh, the better it is because, you know, there are people out there trying to cancel us every single day, you know, and trying to cancel our stories. Uh, and um, don't even want people to read the books, you know. So uh, whatever we can do to, to, to keep our uh, presence, our legend, our culture, our richness, and in, in, in front of people, the, the better it is. So I applaud you with the uh, Ambassador Digital Magazine. So now, what else is coming up? What else are you doing? Well, I have a big announcement and it's, you know, we can say but so much and I'll give you, we have an exclusive obviously next week, but I will say this, that um, I can say it here on this program that um, a lot of people have asked about the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969. And so I have um, gotten together with some industry, you know, and someone who's ambassador who does a lot of events in Harlem. As a matter of fact, I put on I put on free events in Marcus Garvey Park. Um, part of the reason was because when I was a child, um, of what happened in 1969, I feel I always have to pay things forward, and I have the I have the the, the con connections to do that, and I've done that for years um, before there was ever a Summer Soul movie. But now with the success of Summer of Soul and, and all the awards and then my relationship with the community, we are um, reimagining that for, uh, the, for now, for 2022 moving forward. And we've been in the works for the past since July. So we have some big announcement next week with some major players and some major people that will be involved. And I'm extremely excited for not only, you know, just most excited for the community of Harlem which is so deserving of having this because this was theirs. I was a little boy um, with his family and many of the people that were, the man who actually took us was my mother's boyfriend, Joe Hazel, is deceased. And I feel like by doing this and being where I'm at right now and looking at the young people that they can get the same opportunities that myself and G. Keith has had, he knows what I'm talking about. When we grew up in a certain era, we were given opportunities. We were around epic, epic people. 
and not always famous, but just the real, real salt of the earth. And that's what you saw in that film was salt of the earth. Just, you know, whatever they did, you know, just working normal people. And this is another opportunity to really just say thank you and really um, be able to help. And we're gonna do things that are perhaps a social and economic impact on the very community that I live in, which is so worthy and so needed in our way. And in you know, the way that I know best, which is through entertainment. And so, um, and other social issues that we're gonna probably um, deal with that were also in the film, brought up in the mm -hmm. film, we're still dealing with today. And so maybe well, we can make an impact. Well, we're winding down. We've got less than two minutes. So I want you to keep this real brief. Brief. What sacrifices have you made in order to be the Musa Jackson that you are now? Okay. Say right now, right now? Yes. Is the sacrifice was I had a career in Hollywood. You can look it up. And I turned down, I was with Hollywood Pictures Disney. And I saw my first screenplay and I, one of the big sacrifices was I decided to leave Hollywood to come back to my community um, because I wanted to be not only a dad, but I wanted to be a part of my community and I didn't want to get lost in that. So I turned that down back in 1994 and I've never, ever regretted it. I think it's the best move I ever made. Yeah. I turned Hollywood down. Now I'm not. <laughs> I'm not anymore. I'm here. Uh -huh. Hello. The Hollywood ambassador. Hello. The Hollywood. I mean, the the Harlem ambassador turned Hollywood down, and mm -hmm. now Hollywood has come back to to present an Oscar to the the documentary that you are uh, very present in. So, all right. Well, this has been really great, uh, Musa. I, I know I'll see you around the highways and byways of uh, Harlem, and. Yep. Uh, Thank you very, very much for taking the time to, to join us here at uh, Harlem America. Is there any last thing you'd like to say? Yes, I have to thank you. Thank you so much, G. Keith Alexander and HarlemAmerica.com. You guys are amazing. I grew up with this man right here, that voice. I, you know, you can, it's so one of the most distinct voices ever. So I just want to say thank you so much. It was an honor to be on this program. And, you know, you're just one of the greats. So yes. I had to say that is so kind of you to say. Thank you so very, very much for sharing that. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. And uh, please tell all your friends about HarlemAmerica.com. And you can find uh, our podcast on all of the major platforms and our TV shows. You can get them on Roku, uh, 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 Amazon Fire, or Amazon or Am whatever it is. Uh, Roku, Amazon, uh, Android, and um, there's one other. Uh, cheese and crackers. I can't think of it right now because my engineer is telling me we got to go. So we, we got to go. Talk to you. See you next week, next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern on HarlemAmerica.com. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.